0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the podcast. This is Eric Wright, your host for the Disco Posse podcast. This show today is brought to you by our good friends at Veeam Software. Everything you need for your data protection needs, whether it's in the cloud, on-premises, or even make sure you back that sas up. If you want to go and check out a lot more, you can go right to my special link if you go to V E E a m forward slash will take you right to a spot where you can check it out. You can even buy it right there if you want to. But more than anything, I've been a longtime fan of the platform, the team. Uh, they've really, really done a great job. And in fact, I recently had Danny Allen, the CTO, on. So please do go into the back catalog and check that out. So remember, go to Vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and check that out. Also, today is brought to you by the good friends over at Velocity Closing. If you want to learn about how to become better, the ultimate sales techniques that aren't really sales techniques. What this is, is how to better connect with people, which is especially important when you get involved with technical selling. What I found in my own experiences, both as a receiver of those phone calls, as well as helping to coach teams on to become better engaged with their customers, I built a platform called Velocity Closing. I've got a great book. It's called The Four-Step Guide to Delivering Extraordinary Software Demos that win deals. So you can go to velocityclosing.com. You can download it. I'm actually publishing the ebook. I've got the audio book, which is coming next and you get access to amazing lessons. So we're going to do interactive uh, episodes as well as uh, recorded content. So please go to velocityclosing.com. Check it out. Buy your copy today because we're actually running a special right now. where you get the whole bundle for only 27 bucks. So go to velocityclosing.com for that. Today's episode is really cool because I get to talk with Brian LaRue. Brian's a fantastic individual who I've been lucky enough to kind of know through you know, sideways uh, adjacencies over the course of my career. Uh, he's been strong in you know, a lot of development circles, and I was introduced by a good friend of mine, Jody Alkema, uh, who back in the day, uh, God, I hope I can have Jody on the show too. But anyways, this is a great uh, episode with Brian, founder of begin.com.
1: So Enjoy. Hey, this is Brian LaRue, uh, founder of Begin.com, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast.
2: You're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast.
0: This is so fun to be here. Uh, Brian LaRue. Yeah. You are, like, I, I look across the industry and there are people you you just know if you sat beside them at a table that you wouldn't want to leave the table. And ah, thank you. You're on that list, which is kind of a funny happenstance set of things that led us to kind of knowing each other, I say with air quotes on an on a audio podcast. <laughs> but. Brian, let's ta- let's start. Just let- tell us about you. Let's introduce you to to, to my world, and uh, we're going to talk about begin. We're going to talk about you know your background, this, the 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 need and the power and the potential dangers of serverless. That's right. I'm going to do do <laughs> controversial topics, kids. Uh, but oh, yeah, we but should we should yeah. Let's uh, let's let's tell the world about you and, and how they can get connected if they want to want to talk with you uh, further on some stuff.
1: Yeah, if folks want to find me. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm all over the internet under Brian Larue, my name. Um, and you, you know, I spend probably an unhealthy amount of time on Twitter. Um, <laughs> we
2: all do. A questionable
1: choice, <laughs> but you know, as this year of twenty twenty has unfolded, and you know, it's it's good entertainment to go on there. That's for sure. Um, but there's also great tech conversations to be had and great minds to to uh, interact with. And I think that's what I love about it. So I'm almost always there. Um, and generally, uh, also socializing uh, the various places on GitHub where you can do that. Um, big open source developer and, uh, yeah, I'm a co-founder of begin.com. Our, our mission is to make serverless accessible to everybody. And, uh, yeah, that's me.
0: That is a, uh, yeah. it's, it's, I'll, i like to say this too is i've i've talked with a few other folks that you would probably know in the industry as well like erica windish and and you know oh, some yes. of the, yeah. those early you know what she had done with with i o pipe which that was acquired uh which was fantastic yeah. use you know they're part of the new relic family now um, yeah. and, and other that folks that are see. kind of leading the charge uh i got a chance to actually uh talk with paolo Aruda on the fast ruby side uh and very fun so it's it's neat. I remember even, you know, talking with folks on the idea of microkernel stuff back in the day. Well, that one didn't pan out along with OpenStack. <laughs> but hey, you know, we, they can't all be can't all be winners. But in the end, really, what I love is that you have you've made bets that it can be done better. And yes. Yeah. Not only have you made bets technologically, but you've made bets by wrapping a, a business around it so i let's talk about the origins of begin because i'd love to hear like what what led you to to make this platform i mean yeah, we, it, I guess that's the only two people you know for who haven't already taken a look at it uh you've got number one you write the greatest copy uh, i love your honesty that comes out in everything you say your linkedin profile is is uh is worth a read and i hope you get a lot of clicks on it but just your the honesty and the way you tell the story in the tech, is it, it's it need we need it, and this is why it's so refreshing to have that voice uh, just be very strong in every part of your presence.
1: Well, it's it's a personally sort of um, hard-won set of experiences. We, in my former life, uh, before doing the begin thing, I was working on a pretty popular open source project called PhoneGap, and it had uh, a cloud component to it, um, which ended up getting. Um, bought by Adobe and run by them and me, and um, yeah. <laughs> when you run a big a big load balance monolith uh, in the cloud, uh, you know, that gets a heavy amount of traffic uh, as a part of Creative Cloud, it was, you know, doing decently at, um, you find all the edges and uh, that approach, while it works, it's tried and tested, it comes with a whole bunch of trade-offs. It's not controversial to say this. It's, you know, not. Not always ideal. If you have huge fleets of instances of stuff uh, then to, you know, upgrade them, you have to do rolling deploys, which can take a while. And if you've got A very large amount of data, you're going to end up needing more than one physical partition in your database. Many ways to achieve that. None of them are fun. (laughs) So there's um, (laughs) There wasn't so much like a moment where I was necessarily like, okay, well, um, here's the future more so I just knew what you know I didn't like uh, about the present and as I embarked on our my next sort of gig we were going to do this um, we really believed actually heavily in slack as a communications channel becoming a fulcrum for for business apps early on that was the first kind of iteration to begin that part didn't really work out but when when we were building it, um, I immediately just went straight towards serverless because I had had so many years of experience scaling a monolith that I you know, I knew how to do it. I just didn't want to do it again. <laughs> <You have to. laughs> and there was this promise of this idea that we would uh, be focusing on pure business logic and uh, the problem at hand and we would outsource the undifferentiated heavy lifting of orchestrating instances and in containers and And these whatever the primitives are, and we'd just be focused on our business value, and uh, it's real, but it's not super accessible because it's early days. It's the tech is definitely more accessible now than it was when I started getting getting really excited about it. But um, yeah, there's there's gaps Um, early on. The deployment tools were really bad. There was no local development environment. Cloud formation support wasn't really there for all the things that you needed it for, and we ended up uh, building all of our own stuff for that because there wasn't really much else going on. There are other frameworks. Now there's lots. Um, all of them though seem to like be attached to this idea of maybe you're building for multi-cloud or you're building like a traditional server architecture. And we, we didn't go that way. We really embraced what does it look like if the primitive of the compute is a function and what does it look like if we're using just all, uh um, Service glue for the orchestration of that, so like EventBridge for events, or SNS for uh, pub/sub, or SQS for for queuing, API Gateway for the HTTP layer, um, DynamoDB for your database, and you know, approaching this for just from the outside, it looks like oh my god, there's all this stuff. Like Amazon's huge, <laughs> it's like sprawling console. Yeah, Where's it's my? Disturbing, app? isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And there's no like one sort of you know, holistic view of what your app is. So you really got to learn a lot to get, to realize that you don't even need, you know, maybe 10% of that uh, to, especially to build a database backed web app. And so our whole initial hack was to subset everything down to just the services that we needed and um, to package those into like a destination uh, that worked not only on your local machine, but identically in the cloud um, as deployment units cloud CloudFormation. And our our dev velocity was insane, uh, comparatively to where we were before. Um, when our sort of take on the Slack world um, felt like it, there just wasn't any traction in it, but we had this CI/CD that we had built ourselves um, to do uh, our own deployments, and everybody we talked to was like, "Can I use that? Like, how does that work?" And wanted to. <laughs> We're like, oh, okay, well, here's the business. So we started focusing on just CI CD for Lambda functions. And then we launched that uh, really in not, uh, November 2019. It's so not that long ago. And um, we thought our audience was gonna be like Kubernetes, people that are disenfranchised or like people coming from kind of the traditional three-tiered architecture. And we were totally wrong. So it was, uh, it was almost like all organic growth has been um, front-end web developers um, coming from the Jamstack world that don't care about the backend, but need those capabilities because static websites are, you know, kind of limited. So they're, they're self-nominating and organically growing into the serverless world and they don't even care about the backend. Whereas the backend world is kind of like, I don't know, is this real? I know Yeah, like my relational database and like, they're not there yet. But meanwhile, there's this whole other cohort that's just like, doesn't care. And just wants to get the job done, so they're more of a natural fit for the serverless mindset. But at the end of the day, um, I think the inertia is just going to go to cloud. And if the inertia goes to cloud, then eventually the you know the idea that you want to outsource to these key primitives is, is not going to be so radical. And um, yeah, well, I,
0: a good thing I think is the convert the honesty of the conversation we all need to have is that. When every new thing comes in, and it's actually not new, it's been new for a while, it's now discovered, which is different, right? So, you know, when yeah. people said, like, there's this new thing called service, like, hey, I hate to tell you, kids, but we've been using this for a while, uh, you know, and then when we fought over the name serverless, just the same way we fight over on premise versus on premises, like, there's yes. all <laughs> these, like, bizarro nerd arguments that we keep having. And while all that argument is going on underneath the covers, it's being widely adopted and being used. And while the use case yeah. that we get trounced on all the time, and this is, you know, I, I'm in the industry all the time, telling stories about how stuff is actually used. And, you know, people say, well, multi-cloud is about being able to run on Kubernetes, so you can run it on three clouds. Sure. Like, no, no one does that except for a demo, just to prove it can be done. But like businesses don't operate that way. We love, like mildly opinionated stacks we're down with that
1: <laughs> yeah and and really do you want to be over provisioning unused capacity in three clouds
0: yeah, exactly <laughs> like,
1: like that is a really poor use of your time and at this point the on-demand model has gotten not be- like not necessarily better than um, the pre-provision model uh, but it you get 15 minutes as opposed to like a few seconds which we had. You know, when initially launched, you get three gigs of memory. Now, okay,
0: it's getting. Oh, oh th- there we go. You're back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, oh, is that oh,
0: is that frightening moment? Where you're like, oh no, we lost Brian, <laughs> and I'm double checking. This... So <laughs>
1: I am that's so sorry. This has been a self-inflicted wound. I tried to outsmart myself and set up a mesh network, which...
0: <laughs> that's why you don't get in the infrastructure game, kids. <laughs> right.
1: I know. I need, I need on-demand mesh fiber at my house. But great. it was
0: funny kind of where you were, you're heading. is this idea that I remembered like when when like Lambda, you know, let's be honest, when we say serverless, we mean Lambda, you know, like that's that was the, the, the start. Uh, and... It was this thing of like, well, it had all these limits, and people are like, yeah. well, it won't scale. Well, it doesn't need to yet. They're doing this because no one's there. They're showing you the edges, and you're gonna, if you find them, then they're gonna say thank you, and they're gonna figure out how to get past them, right?
1: And there are edges still and I, I actually feel like this is a superpower so when you understand your limits up front you can design your architecture to meet those and instead of like uh, you're, you're, you have limits either way but if you don't know them up front then you're going to discover them the hard way yeah. the lambda we can anticipate you know that which workloads might need to be pre-provisioned and what ones don't but like at this point the the limits are I think out the window we, we had. I think last month, something like 3 million SNS events, and you know, it costs a few bucks.
2: (laughs) No doubt, yeah. (laughs) Like, and
1: if I needed more, I guess I could just like provision more AWS org accounts, right, so like you can spread this load out yourself if if you have those kinds of capacity problems, you have good problems.
0: Yeah, Um, that's really what it is. It's, uh, I think we struggle as technologists you know, that we we really want to know so much how the sausage is made that we get wrapped around the axle on, the, on those things. And what's worse, especially when it's a burgeoning kind of ecosystem, is that the news, it's like political news. Somebody said something and then four hours later yeah. they apologized for it. And then seven days later they're still saying the original story. Like we don't get, so I still people talk to me, they're like, I, I, I hear we can't really use serverless stuff because it's like the whole warming thing. And like, you know, it's yeah. kind of not a thing, right? <laughs> we well, that's, a, that's, that a, thing. that's one of my
1: favorite ones because I think we solved it in around 2016 to, to, to my satisfaction. So we got it to sub-second. And now between improvements with AWS's infra and understanding the field and better run times, the runtimes themselves are now kind of competing on cold start quietly because they know this is you know knocking on the door, yeah. and um, yeah, if you see two hundred milliseconds, that's slow, and for some people that is slow, um, you know, like if you're building a real time app or whatever, then you might you know feel that uh, latency, but for a really large case of apps, that is not the case. Two hundred milliseconds is plenty enough uh, of cold start you know to deal with it. They're not constant, you know, they're like they happen, but their probability of getting them now is pretty low. Like they've got pretty great orchestration now. So we do see them, but I don't see anything that goes over 200 milliseconds. So, And we put all of our stuff behind CloudFront because we're doing mostly web appy workloads. And so, like, that isn't even hitting the Lambda, like it hits it once. It's cached for yeah. forever. So there's, it's it's not quite the problem that people think it is. Um, but it's a it's a valid criticism because it exists, and uh, but but so do solutions for it. And like, I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The the thing that holds me back or the use cases where I'm like, okay, well, this isn't really appropriate for serverless. Really long lived stateful workloads, like machine learning models and that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, don't do that serverless. It doesn't make sense. But if you're building (laughs) a crud app, I don't know what the excuse is.
0: Yeah, that's right. If you're, of course, you're talking to the guy who's still such a, uh, I'm such a terrifyingly bad developer that I've like, I built this little platform. It's just as always, because I'm also not smart. I built it on the only, you know, stack I know, which is Ruby on Rails. So I've got the stupid EC2 instance in there that. with an RDS backend. I'm like, I could probably find a better way to host this, but I'm like, ah, uh, it, uh, so it's I, running.
1: Don't, don't touch it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. This is not a problem you need to solve unless, you know, you're, you're morbidly curious. I think this is a challenge for serverless right now. We're not thinking a lot about, uh, how do we migrate existing workloads? We've really been like, are, how does this shit even work? Like up to this point. <laughs> and now it's um but now it's clear like you know we're probably about five years in. Actually I guess we're about six years in on Lambda itself or five years in an API gateway. Cloud formation support we're like you know depending on how you look at it, only months in. But <laughs> The, um, yes. the capabilities are kind of just there, but like this is the earliest moments and we really haven't built a good story about how do you migrate your existing workloads? It's been more about greenfield development up to this point. And I think this is a theme I'm, I'm starting to like realize that we need to push harder um, in our examples, and our docs, and the, our case studies, because it's happening. People are doing it out there. Um, and the techniques are really interesting. It's, it's like you know utilizing things like GraphQL to so sort of, Hide your original API um, behind a facade, or some people call it the strangler pattern. I'm, I'm growing uncomfortable with that term because I wish like that
0: we wouldn't use
1: that term violent right now, and that's... unnecessary. <laughs> like oh, it's more man. like additive change. It's not, yeah. not nobody's getting strangled. <laughs> like, there are ways to do this. There's these migrations, uh, uh, just to pick off parts of your app uh, and make them serverless, and I think that's the sweet spot today and uh, figuring out how, like how there are people working on this problem, how to run a, a full on rails app, uh, which I find fascinating and cool because at the end of the day, it is just compute somewhere. Who cares where it that's runs?
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. The challenges there right now, I think are mostly about how do we get them packaged small enough that the cold start, uh, is reasonable, but that's, you know, an easy problem on the scale of problems that are out there.
0: And the the one thing that I always still a, a, a regular read and I send people to is is the the it, it's it's from the base camp crew right from DHH and Jason Freed is the the magic monolith or whatever they call it yes. the majestic monolith like yes. there's nothing wrong with a f- nope. purely successful operational model like it, a proven, proven one for decades. <laughs> exactly. At this why, point, so why yeah. in goodness' name would I think that you should refactor this thing from the bottom up just to, to move to a new tech stack that will be 10 years later talked about as the old thing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, like, mm-hmm. there's one the tech is going to come meet you where you are at some point, and and two, if it's all the workloads already running, who cares? Yeah,
2: <laughs> like but
1: it's and- successfully doing its job, like, there are other jobs you know, maybe evaluate that new tech, then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't get the whole rush to use the new thing every time. It's a very common one, in the front end uh, community, especially, which is irksome to me, because I don't know that new has been proven to be better in that world.
0: (laughs) The fact Uh, that the only thing that's worse than the CNCF uh periodic chart is the is if you try and list out js frameworks you know (laughs) (laughs) it's longer than the terms and conditions on facebook it's like it's horrifying (laughs) i don't know how you you do it it, because every time i try i'm like i'm gonna learn javascript because i should i should not just do ruby and a little python i'm like let me just do some javascript but i'm not a programmer so the moment i get started i'm like okay cool and also i'm i'm I've been spoiled by Rails being like stupidly easy, yeah, and so yeah. I'll go to set something up, and then be like, "Oh, well, you need you need Bower, and you need this, and you know, like like ten other things, and a couple of plugins, and then a framework, and then a scaffold, and a backend." I'm like,
1: "This is why I know, can, I'm not doing this." <laughs> it's interesting. We we went like this pendulum seems to swing back and forth because I remember when you know early Java days, things got really you know like lots of frameworks and IDEs and lots of libraries and you had to cobble lots of stuff together. And there was like lots of books about how to do that cobbling together, but no one was telling you that there was one way to cobble it together. And, and then the Rails thing happened and we had this pendulum swing straight over to conventions, over configuration and like strong defaults and you know, smaller libraries. and. I think the pendulum is just on back over. <laughs> to on back over yeah. <laughs> but I'm waiting for it to come back to the simple and the, the conventions based stuff. I, I believe it's all possible and it's all there. The The way we got there with the front end is the browsers used to be such a mess that we had to do this in user land. The memo hasn't gotten out. The browsers don't suck anymore. Like They're pretty good. Like they've got <laughs> no, that's... components, they've, they've got a module system. And a lot of what these frameworks are doing for us, uh, the browser already bakes in. So I think there's going to be a new reckoning where we figure that out, and people start writing for the platform as opposed to for a framework on top of the platform. But do you think who knows?
0: that that's a problem, Brian, with like the kind of the NIH, you know, the not invented here issue? That there's a fear that if I rely on a thing, because Lord knows again, to so pull my only you know light experience in Ruby. And Rails is like, oh, I've I've got a couple of gems and some things that I'm using that haven't been updated for seven years, and I'm just praying <laughs> to goodness that they don't just drop off GitHub. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> if I yeah, depend I, on something you know, like
0: a browser, and then suddenly a new standard rolls underneath that, you know, am I? That's why I kind of feel like I got to build it from the ground up.
1: Yeah, the and there's different ways to approach it. The I think a lot of people come at what do I need to solve my problem with like, what tools am I supposed to be using as opposed to what are the, you know, what is the user experience I'm going for and how do I solve it? So to be more concrete, uh, we we saw this just like a week ago where we had a person with an app and they had um, Gatsby, Material UI, React, whole bunch of stuff. And uh, it wasn't compiling because it blew up a Lambda Because it had too many dependencies. That's one of the big limits of Lambda right now. You only get about 500 Megs on disk, and uh, it's temporary. And you know you can have more in memory if you can figure out how to do that. But NPM won't won't install gig worth modules (laughs) (laughs) inside of that temp directory. So it's blowing up. And and here they were like, oh, okay, I can see what's going on. Let me see if I can, you know let's run your app and let's see if we can get rid of some of these depths to, to get it and starts of the app and it's uh, a comment in an HTML page. It's like to do content here. They had nothing. There was nothing. There was, it was hello world. Oh, and wow. It was a gigabyte of code. So uh, this is um, perhaps not the best way to approach <laughs> your HTML page and I don't know what the solution is really other than just like hard won experience that you work backwards from your problem not from your solutions um but folks you know think i'm going to need all this stuff so they get it uh without even having written you know a single line of content yet, which is probably not the right way to go about building something um do you think i said i think you should outsource as much as you can i just think you should outsource stuff smartly
0: Yeah. Do you think maybe it's also, you know, you and I have been through the mill on a couple of things. And so we, you, you do probably. pull, you do pull history into your future, you know, design. Uh, so if you saw somebody that's a brand new, like a 16 year old developer, do you think that they, they won't care about, they are going to want to just outsource a lot of that stuff probably, right? I or, would, am I right? So I say this as if it's like an, it's a bold assumption, but I don't know. I, I'm I curious. On the coverage that you see.
1: Well, we're seeing all kinds and we're seeing uh, some people are definitely going at it from the sort of boot camp you have to install a bunch of stuff to build things. We are seeing a lot of people who are like, oh, what I actually need here is a database. And they're trying to like unlock that part of the story and are less interested in uh, the ever-changing world of <laughs> the front end developer experience for hiding and showing Dibs yeah there's only so much you can do up there where it's like actually all that exciting it's like a, you know what are you getting out of this and what is the value that you're creating if you're going to be creating something that's undifferentiated you're probably going to need to read and write data that's where they you know graphql appears to be a a major um, gateway drug to that part of the world and uh, that's the the group that's most interesting because their usage increases so they start building something that uh, does th- The the place where I discovered this actually was 302 redirects. So we uh, recommend, you know, after you do a form post to redirect afterwards. And I was looking at our like logs of of the aggregate usage of begin.com and I noticed a huge percentage of 302s and I was like, oh, that's crazy. And then I correlated it to active users and I was like, oh, it's because active users are writing to the database. Yeah. that That makes sense actually. So I don't know there is like a low value group that's out there doing bullshit work but there's a high value smaller group that's doing really interesting stuff and I'm trying to focus on them <laughs> yeah
0: oh, and that's that's really what it is it's the there's a lot there's just a lot going on so it's not like there's a like there's no authoritative place and and then mm-hmm. i I'll, I'll get got you're gonna I'm going to say this. This is Eric talking. This is not Brian taking me, not, not Brian saying these things. I, you know, the opinions expressed are those are the practitioners. <laughs> but like the CNCF, you know, fantastic things they're, they're aiming for. However, sure. uh, in doing that, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily achieve the, you know, the, the, the progress within the ecosystem that it does. It gives them the boundaries and the guardrails and the formality and the things. But what it doesn't yeah. do is, is, like, actually, you know, it's, it's the de-opinionating of things, which I find it's, is
1: risky. It, it just felt premature. So I like the group, and I think it's probably doing important stuff for governance in the world of uh, that stuff. But I find the premise is flawed. So the premise is, oh, you want to, you know, um, take all this uh, stuff and run it yourself. Which was not the point of the cloud. <laughs> the, point yeah, exactly. the cloud is I don't want to run it myself, and it, I guess serverless has taken this to an illogical extreme. Where, like I don't want to run any of it. I just want to write my biz- business logic, and I kind of actually don't care about the packaging at all. And yeah, I get it. That's a big leap. I mean, I worked on PhoneGap. The whole point there was to uh, create a clean surface, a clean platform that was portable between different runtime context. Now, this was a totally different kind of runtime. This was a mobile operating system. And what we're talking about right now is the cloud. And I don't feel that the boundaries of the cloud are well enough established that we can have an abstraction like that yet. We, for example, in my view, um, infrastructure as code is a crucial best practice. This is like table stakes business. You do not want to go into the cloud without um, having some repeatability Um, in the form of a manifest file that describes the cloud resources your code depends on. This is not widely practiced right now. This is (laughs) kind of practiced (laughs) in products in user land. And like, to me, like that right there, that is like one thing that if you do not have that capability, you're automatically opting yourself out of determinism, which means that you're gonna have a bad time when it comes to reproducing bugs uh, and resolving and shipping features because you're gonna have non-symmetrical environments asymmetrical environments. So, um, yeah, so, uh, a- AWS has cloud formation. That's pretty well established at this point, but I wouldn't even say it's ubiquitous there. And, uh, it, a- Azure has a thing called arm Azure resource manager and, um, GCP as best I can tell has, um, Terraform <laughs> from HashiCorp. Yeah. Ca- Terraform <laughs> and, and hope are, are kind of the. Yeah. <laughs> and so like an arm doesn't, uh, provision, um, functions inside of functions apps. So, it's incomplete as far as serverless capabilities go. So, like, were I to, like, say, okay, I agree with the premise that we need um, an abstraction layer on, on these uh, platforms. Great. But, like, to me, the primitives aren't even there yet to build that abstraction layer. And to say that the the primitive is a VM, um, I think is provably false at this point. I, I mean, I get it. It's a way. It's not the only way, and it's really arguably not a very good one. Um, no doubt. With the yeah. conditions that we're seeing for isolation and scaling, and all the other stuff that's happening right now. Um, even with just containers, you know, even with just Fargate, um, such a better user experience uh, for the end developer, and they shouldn't care uh, about all this other stuff. So.
0: Yeah, that was, the, that was the neat thing of uh, F- Fargate Fargate being this idea of like it became the also the camp divider amongst the ops and the development crowd that and it proved why we, you know, why we have to clearly define where the crossover is and the, the marriage between these teams it was because yeah Fargate was like fantastic. I don't need to give, I don't need to care about the ops and the ops folks are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have no idea what's going on here now. <laughs> and they're like, that's actually kind of by well, design. <laughs>
1: this is, yeah. And so like, this is another one that's like a bit tricky. So, um, and I hear a lot that, you know, like serverless, uh, removes the need for ops, but I don't think it does. So like, don't worry ops guys, your jobs are safe. They're very safe yeah. in fact. So, Last week we've uh, migrated uh, begin.com from um, API gateway, REST APIs to HTTP APIs. And that's uh, a, m- a minutia point of uh, implementation that no one needed to know about or care about. And uh, like, that's amazing. So we did it. Uh, we migrated over 80,000 endpoints or something like that. Transparently wow. <laughs> in the week. Um, there's only five of us at begin. We had no downtime and uh, sort of the, the point here is that um, no one needed to know or care, but there was some ops involved. <laughs> there was definitely some monitoring of CloudWatch going on. There was, you know, throttles happening and error reporting and all that good shit didn't go away. Um, now, for our end customer, they didn't need to see or feel any of that, but I think, like even at scale, Serverless starts to uh, show where you do need a team um, dedicated to um, operations, you know, and there's still operations happening. There's still security. There's still scaling. There's still big bills that show up there. You're like, what the hell happened?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fargate doesn't mean it's free. It just means it's abstracted and obscured. It's uh, it's it means that you don't
1: have to worry about it, but you do have to worry about the bill. It's still coming in. It's uh, and there's still jobs to be done that are like really interesting, like um, finding these new boundaries, like uh, an example for you. I found that uh, Route 53 really doesn't like to get like huge amounts of concurrent change sets. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> like, so we need to put that behind the queue, you know. And this is like this is some opsy stuff. You know, that's that's definitely ops as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so having
0: think, having tried a few Route 53, I'm pretty sure that manually I could take that sucker out with some concurrent oh changes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it, but it is, like you said, it's funny that you are finding those edges and and ultimately i think it makes us good designers like as a as a systems architect my whole goal is like it's going to break in production so if i can't break it before it gets there it's going to break anyways and i just will now i'm going to be troubleshooting a production you know and like charity charity major says she goes we all test in production i I got bad news for you
1: right (laughs) yeah but this is good i think it's like the werner vogel's thing where he's like you know your systems are going to fail. So let's design for that instead of designing for like, oh, everything worked the first time. Let's have a stage delivery. Let's have a cell based architecture. Let's have good monitoring and login and error reporting and alerting. Let's have line numbers in our stack traces, please. Yeah, small <laughs> <It's> <laughs> things, right. But it's, yeah. it,
0: it, and it becomes the So the practice of patterns, I think is one thing that I think we struggle with as a, especially in the ops side of the world, is a real misunderstanding of how to be good in the practice of patterns and understanding patterns versus anti-patterns and why this stuff matters. You know, what's what's your advice, you know, to folks as they like slow down and think about what it is they're about to get
1: into? Well, I... (laughs) I will give you an analogy. Uh, last week, um, like everyone, I'm upgrading my office constantly right now because I'm, I'm working from home all the time and, and I wasn't before I was pretty much on the road all the time. So I worked primarily on a MacBook Air and I um, decided to build myself a big awesome standing desk and I uh, picked up a beautiful sheet of maple plywood, which I dropped on my big toe. And oh, but no. the best part about that was like not an hour before I was kind of making fun of some construction guys I saw in the Home Depot wearing their big steel toe boots and shorts. I was like, God, oh, these guys are wearing their steel toes even in the summertime. And then like an hour later, I break my toe. So oh, sweet, <laughs> <there's>, sweet <laughs> irony! <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful reminder, and there is a software metaphor in there. You know, like we we do stuff for a reason. You know like we we have um, isolated staging production environments that are identical for a reason we do that because we know we're going to fail and um, it's better that we fa- find that bug instead of our customers we also know that we're still going to fail you just said it and i think this is like a, a you know more experienced um, operators have I've definitely come to this conclusion because we've broken our toes <laughs> times. Yeah, that's so right. we wear those steel toe boots, but you do all these things and it seems like actual work, you know, like setting up CI/CD seems like work, and tests seems like work, and QA environments seem like work. But these practices actually applied just as much to serverless and containers as they did to instances and working on premises before that, so or on prem, I do want to say. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I don't think I think we just keep changing the names of the logos and upgrading the like kind of buzzwords. So instead That's of cloud, right. we now say serverless, I guess. Like instead of like logging, we call it monitoring or observability, but like it's kind of just logging. <laughs> it's uh, Well, remember yeah,
0: it's, it was it began as rad, right? The rapid application yes. development. Like yeah. I went through an old like SDLC uh, like from an IT management course that I had, I was, I was taking and which I, I was like, this is, this is really not cool. Like the way you're, cause I know this is so wrong and it will be just replaced by a million things, but it I remember
1: was, rational rows, yes, these so like UML man. diagrams and uh, you filling in your Java classes and like an eclipse ID of some kind and yeah, it, uh, I remember all that. <laughs>
0: But if we take those practices, ultimately they play out in the future. Like one of my favorite things is Randy Schaup. Uh, he's, he describes, he says, uh, he says, so microservices is so uh,
1: done right. Like we've yeah. been talking yeah, about this yeah. for
0: a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And I didn't think like 12 um, factor app is, is another one that like I, I still re- reflect on and I'm just like, fuck. It was, it was close. It was pretty close yeah, that's it. <laughs> to how it all like panned out in the end. And yeah, SOA was, you know, that did lead to REST and you now GraphQL things and, and this microservices thing. I mean, this is how, how everything seems to kind of work at this point. If you build, um, if you do build with like API Gateway and Lambda, that's just like your default world, which is so weird because it seemed like it had failed. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it seems like it had failed really bad too. <laughs> it's like, oh, all of that was a bad idea, and we totally abandoned it. But a lot of the tenants did survive and and kind of made it forward in time, uh, if not with the names. Yeah.
0: Do you find that a lot of new? So there's kind of these like really neat aha moments, and I, you know, discovering more. Uh, so I used to do. I was running ops. You know, doing everything from database to desktops to servers to whatever at a, at a major financial company. And then I was always that idiot that was always going way further than I should and talking to the network team, talking to developers and learning about how the rest of the ecosystem worked. Or as we call it, DevOps now, right? Like actually evolving yeah, yeah, yeah. the full, the feedback loop and and then going through that. And then when I moved to, I was at another financial company and I met Jody Alkema, who's a fantastic uh, human. I, I love Jody so much. He's a good dude. And he opened my eyes to He's like we're doing this whole thing We're like, we were putting a Mac on his desk. I'm like, what the hell is this craziness? Why is there a Mac here? We're a PC co- shop. And he's like, no. And he tells me all about this rails thing. I'm like, oh. And then I started to like, learn about what the value is and how it worked. And I dove in myself and it was like shoving a guy out in the desert and putting peyote in his mouth. And then just, <laughs> and I came back and I had had an experience. I was like, oh, I get this now. And even trying to like tell the story, I remembered firmly, and I'm sure Jody remembers, seeing me explain to my CIO, he's like, he's like, so what, So what's the Ruby on Rails thing? I'm like, well, there's like Ruby. And like, I didn't even understand what a DSL was. and. So trying to relay this in an ops mindset to a CIO and Jody's yeah. like biting his finger, like listening to me, just hack my way. Finally, he walks in. He's like, okay, okay, I got to stop this here. Let's go through. And then I was like, Ooh, okay. And now we all kind of dug into why it was important that we were doing what we were doing. And I feel like serverless and this, we are now at this beautiful phase where as you explain to people and they have this sort of, you know, come to Jesus moment, as they call it, we're like, oh, oh, yeah, I get why this is valuable and why this pattern is important and, yeah. and meaningful to the business outcome, too. More than anything, like, let's break it down, like you said before, like, what's the actual business outcome that we're going to get yeah. from this and the value that that's, we derive from it?
1: There's a couple of weird things that happen. Um, one, one weird thing initially for me, the shock was that the deployment speed. So I initially thought about it. I wanted it because I didn't want to deal with sharding and stuff. Uh, but then I can remember the moment that I updated a Lambda function and it took two seconds. And I was like, what? Is this thing real? <laughs> and then we realized if we're breaking up the app into a bunch of functions, we're not bound by deploying the whole artifact we can deploy them all in parallel so it doesn't matter how many there are uh, they'll still deploy in a few seconds which is incredible so like that was a big thing I so was like whoa that just like changed my iteration speed a lot <laughs> like a lot a lot i was used to 20 30 minute deploys before that uh, the other thing that happens is you're not doing all this extra stuff You're focused only on your business logic and if you're breaking it down on a per function basis, you get a lot of single responsibility principle actors that are very clearly labeled in your bill. And this is really interesting because when you look at your bill, you're looking at a real time reflection of your total cost of ownership at a code level. So you know what code paths are actually costing money or making money and you know which ones aren't. So like, you can get really granular, like down to a hundred millisecond increments granular on costs of code, which we've never had before. Yeah. Before it was like, you know, you kind of put your thumb up and be like, like three, <laughs> three servers, four if we want to be really safe, like totally arbitrary, like, just yeah. like, like bump the instance count. Oh no, we're getting a bunch of traffic, add more, <laughs> like there's no concept of, you know, what we needed more just like over-provisioning uh, capacity so that we never got hit too hard and it was not a great place to be from an ownership standpoint. It was a terrible place to be from an iteration speed standpoint. And uh, yeah, those are that's a flywheel. You know, Once you're on it, you're not going back. You're not like, oh, I'd like yeah. to do it the old way now. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, so you're, you're in the matrix inevitable. now.
0: You you, I see the code and you're like, that's it. This is my new world. I burned the boats. So I'm on the other side shore, and
1: I'm not going
0: back. <laughs> yeah how how do you think that the I, I'm curious in your thought of like the education system because you like me come from a non traditional education. <laughs> yeah, and I'm cause I'm sure that probably two years ago, they're still teaching Turing as a like language of choice and, and like, because there was no sort of like, they, they had to have like pure functional, they had to have like certain yeah. things that they taught as like methodologies and there was no new curriculum. So and, and, and it probably is kind of a good thing that they suddenly weren't thrusting Go and, and 800 JavaScript frameworks on people. but.
1: They Who knows? no know. right? you know it's it's such an interesting time when, when I left Adobe in 2014, uh, we had pretty good you know data on how many developers we thought there were and we thought that number is close to 20 million and yet now GitHub is like we have 40 million people it's like whoa, did that double in one yeah years?
0: exactly did did I, <laughs> did I wait did I sleep on something and miss a, a, a an event here like yeah yeah.
1: So this truth is somewhere in between, but, but regardless of it, you know, cause lots of people use GitHub that aren't, you know, full-time professional soft self-identified software developers, but, um, raises you know, it's still hands, big, still, still <laughs> yeah. a 50 million or uh, 20 million Delta. So what's going on? A lot of people are coming into the industry. A lot are being self-taught. They're finding online learning paths and um, there is a lot more noise and a lot more competition for those eyeballs um, at the learning level. And there's clearly some breakaways and we can see them in the technology choices being made. And I think a bunch of that is downstream of who had good on-demand video content and who didn't, (laughs) which is really interesting. Um, We are coming at this from a totally different perspective. We've been running legacy workloads. So like, I don't go out and evaluate new technology. I don't care. I just go to Amazon because whatever, they'll be here when I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, so exactly Good enough. But, it, but there's a lot of people out there that aren't coming through that path or with that context or not necessarily even with any um, knowledge that some of these other paths exist. They're finding their way uh, often through uh, egghead.io and FreeCodeCamp and other places like that, and um, it's fascinating to me. I don't, I don't know where this nets sits out. So like, we're still early in the cloud migration story. There's a ton of new developers just coming online, left, right, and center. Software is leading the world in general. So I still think it's anybody's game. We give we sort of default a lot uh, the older school to just saying yeah, AWS, whatever. But Azure is really well positioned for this world. So they've yeah. got the GitHub property, which is obviously an amazing distribution channel. Uh, they've got Visual Studio Code, which doesn't matter which learning path you picked, the instructor is using Visual Studio Code at this point. Yeah. And um, they've got the TypeScript thing, which is currently popular. Uh, so I think they're they're really uh, well positioned to possibly uh, pull the rug on Amazon on this one. And uh, you know, it's early days. I'm loving watching that unfold. <laughs> in
0: in a sense like i for one welcome our aws overlords but but i mean like at the same time the the second place you know while i i we can't talk about necessarily monopolies of business and other things and and competitive things that they've done you know all of a sudden they're like hey Uh, we're seeing a lot of traffic from this begin crowd let's you know it's like the simpsons episode buy them out boys you know just you know, <laughs> just smashing your keyboard at brian's house and that's it
1: You know? well amazon likes us because we're sending people to aws and we're very clear that's you know the learning path that we're building um and yeah i'm keeping close tabs on azure they they are behind on capabilities currently as far as i'm concerned um but yeah well positioned and i don't know yeah the, then I'll play things interesting. So there's two kinds of uh, movement. There's there's inside-out movements, and then there's outside-in movements. And I'll give you an example of an inside-out movement. An inside-out movement is something like iOS. You can't build iOS in a commons. You need a big company like Apple to do that research, to build that hardware and that like deep level of integration. AWS is another inside-out movement. You can't build their infrastructure. That's crazy. They have so much of it at this point. It would be a CapEx that just, it's not realistic to get into that game unless you already have that infra. So those are big, uh, inside out things out or outside in things are things like open source, you know, collective commons comes together and does a big thing. And we confuse these things all the time and they're very, very different. So like, we're not going to see, uh, you know, a way to compete with the cloud that doesn't include having a great deal of uh, existing infrastructure. And I think the board set. We already know who all those people are. Yeah, not a mystery. And it's probably good that there's more than a few of them. And uh, hopefully it stays that way. Um, but there's clearly one big leader uh, who's driving the conversation right now. And it's always been that way. Like, this isn't news. The same thing happened with operating systems, twice. Yeah, exactly. And, and desktops. So like. <laughs> And always Microsoft standing there you know, as one of those people, which is, to me, uh, amazing. <laughs> like, what a track record. They kind of miss mobile, but. Uh, yeah, that
0: one, uh, and oh, our, our, <laughs> RIP Zune. Oh, you had a chat, Yeah, yeah. out of Someone out there's got one, they can hopefully find a plug for it. <laughs> I've got one, I've got one actually. But now here's an interesting thing, and you've got a really good history in in supporting and in using open source. Now, do you ever feel, because you seem like you're very bound in that we just have to get stuff done, and we're going to do things where we can support those open communities, but we also have to leverage commercially-backed software because let's get the best of both and, and let each do their own thing fantastically. That's my kind of view. Do yeah. you ever feel I like, like yeah. I, I'm also, unfortunately, you know, you and I are sort of voices in the industry and, and ears on the industry, and you get people who are very sort of like strong pundits that believe it has to be, you know, one camp versus the other.
1: Yeah, and that's not helpful. I mean, all tech's additive anyways, so it's sort of a, like people talk about a winner-take-all or like, you know, what is the, the, the big ultimate thing, but they're never able to cite an example where that's happened. Like, what was the ultimate operating system that beat all operating systems? There wasn't, there was a few and they're kind of shifting around over the years and changing their names, but it's been more than one. And, um, same thing with cloud, same thing with programming languages. Like, there isn't going to be like a, a moment where we're all like, oh, that's it. Let's go, yeah. <laughs> let's all stop doing everything else. Like, no. We're probably. and I want the diversity anyways, right? Like give me some options that have different trade-offs, please. Like we don't need to just boil everything down to uh, a monoculture and I get it. You know, there's zealotry out there. I'm, I'm just as bad as the next person about my fandom for, you know, especially like the Lambda primitive because it hasn't been yet matched, but um, yeah, I'm I'm open to options here. (laughs) I've been actually asking for them for years. Yeah. uh, And I, I It's, I
0: guess, the other thing, too, that, you know, you probably have the same sort of issue because we are very aggressive on kind of being involved in these communities and having your eye on the industry. We probably see more of the punditry and the weirdness than most the average developer comes in. You know, just like the average ops person, they don't care that the guy from Annex hates the guy from VMware. Like they don't get that they're having Twitter wars (laughs) and, you know, like this is, there's no, the Twitter beef that I'm watching and laughing at means nothing to the person that works at, you know, something financial out in Wisconsin, right? It's, they're just like, (laughs) And,
1: and probably like there's value being extracted in both directions anyways, like. Uh, there was a good one on Twitter the other day where someone was making fun of PHP and then someone responded with like, my single PHP file makes 60K a month. And yeah, exactly. Was, and legit, you know, if you got that job done, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, Lots of ways to do stuff. I guess I get the purity thing too, though, you know, it would be nice if it was like all perfect and everything was always working and had a, a beautiful, you know, perfect veneer. But, we're never all going to agree what that is, so you might as well oh, embrace like, the diversity.
0: Yeah, and and it becomes an unfortunate problem of just that, and and that's not the hill you want to die on. The one you wanna, the one you want to be fighting for is like creating output, creating things that yeah. give back, right? It's
1: yeah, outcomes and and uh, results. Hopefully, you know uh, whatever those might be for for your personal thing, but yeah, that's it's. What I think, uh, I'll give a direct example, my own code, I hate after a month, <laughs> roughly. it seems to me, that's about the like best before date. But one thing that I keep having happen that I really, really love is I see code I wrote from years ago that I didn't need to change. And like, uh, yeah. even though I'm like, Oh God, what the hell, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's still working. I'm not changing that now. <laughs> like, and that's beautiful code. Beautiful code is code that's running adding value and uh everything else like the fashion changes so much anyways at the time i wrote it i'm sure i thought it looked nice you know but now with enough hindsight i I truly don't care what i'm trying to optimize for is i don't have to revisit that if i have to debug it it's going to be easy and ideally that thing just runs forever until i don't need it anymore
0: that's that's it and it's the like you said, if you change it with every, you know, changing wind, then you would spend your life refactoring. And yet, the outcome of the function of it is identical. It's it that you yeah. just go and change all the underlayers over and over again. And there's no business value that's been derived off it. I, like if it's purely for education, it's like, can I do this? Like, let's do this crazy science experiment, right? Can I can I do some weird overlay so that I can create my own abstraction? Like, ah, that's kind of badass.
1: Well, great, but don't go then do it then, to everything, right? <laughs> but then the value is that you learned something, and maybe that's good for a prototype or something. But yeah, there's just nothing better than code you don't have to revisit, especially the spinning tires thing. Like I've seen that in so many projects. I left Adobe in 2014, I think I said. And I remember there was a big rewrite going on for a huge app at that time because it had to be on Angular, right? It couldn't <laughs> be on. <laughs> on uh, jQuery anymore. And so whatever, I didn't care. They were rewriting the app in Angular. There was gonna be no new functionality, but you know, in theory it'd be easier to maintain. Touch base with some of those people again, just a few weeks ago, and guess what they're doing? Well, they're rewriting React. (laughs) 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 Why? (laughs) They've done nothing to add any value, but they're changing out the, you know, the cars paint job on the fly, which is great, I guess, uh, has some trade-offs. I'm sure they're beneficial hiring or whatever, um, but you just need to keep hiring people to keep repainting your car, it's exactly the same. It's not, not really a really good use of time.
0: But. Yeah, amen to that. Well, Brian, this is this has been fun and I could go yeah. all day with you. And, and we'll, we'll, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to talk more in future, especially as we, we get into uh, I'm doing much more digging into the, the CI C D for the ops team and and primarily maybe because it's my own background and I'm having trouble making sure that we can relay the the value and where we can start to leverage those things. Um, but in general, I mean just the audience. I'm but the DevOps story is again one of those things where like we use the word but you know, why do we say DevSecOps? Like it's DevOps, you don't need to say DevSecOps. I'm like, have you found security teams in your DevOps workflow? Then yes, you need to call DevSecOps. Like, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of things that are assumptions that I, I want to get people to understand. Like there's nothing wrong with them. Let's just admit they're, they're happening and figure out how to get to the next layer. But begin.com and I'm proud to have watched this thing Become incredible, right? And just when you see somebody come out of the gate, and I was like, "All right, this is going to be neat," you know. And and then to see it stick and grow and, and it's deserved. And you you really you oh, thank you you give back to the community to the world, right? In 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 beautiful ways. And it's so nice to see uh, a success that's coming to you. And I hope much more. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna keep tracking. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Uh, so again, for folks that want to get a hold of Brian, of course, the, uh, if you want to check out some fantastic code and if it's a month old, don't look at it. Uh, <laughs> <go> to, <laughs> you are the owner of Brian.io, which I think was pretty, pretty cool. So you've got all some really good links there. And of course, go to begin.com, uh, which, uh, it's, it's easy to start with. And uh, also, again, like I said, just when you read a website and you're like, remember there was a movie one time, it had Dudley Moore, where he like went to an insane asylum. He was a marketing executive. And then he came back from it. He's like, this is it. They thought he'd gone crazy. And he finally just decided to introduce honesty in advertising. And it was sort of like, <laughs> Volvos, they're boxy, but they're safe, you know. And <laughs> It's just kind of like the, what was it? The Buckley's mixture. It tastes awful, but it works.
1: Right. When you yeah. go to
0: begin.com, that's what you get. This is what we do. This is why we're fucking fantastic. And uh, join in. Give it a whirl. <laughs> that's kind of the, the feeling I get when I read through your, your copy, which is great.
1: It's so fun being a small startup because you can do stuff like that. Uh, yeah. The, my, my favorite page on begin.com, we did one that... Uh, all the shit you don't need. That's no it. I, <laughs> I'm actually going put, to put the link in the show notes yeah. because
0: when I saw that, yeah. so that was actually kind of too what triggered me to like reach out. So so finally, funny. I saw this and I was like, "This is the best thing ever." It was like the it's like the train spotting, you know, speech basically that you just lay out there. So, uh, bravo on that and 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 all things, man. So thank that, you, um, uh, Brian. Thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to uh, catching up again, hopefully in the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll be back. All right. Take care.